are going to be continuing the way, the truth, and the life. Guys, we are literally two messages away from finishing the book of John. How exciting is that? Well, we were, we're going to end on 49 messages from the book of John, praise the Lord. So that will be next week and we'll finish up. But today is, uh, is our uh, John 21. We're going to be verses 1 through 14. Give us a little bit of a catch up where we're coming from. Uh, last week we were with the disciples as they experienced the revelation that Jesus Christ was now uh, not only risen from the dead, but calling them to action personally as he appeared to them in Jerusalem. And the message we had last week, was, which was two weeks ago, it's just called He Lives. This morning we travel to the Sea of Galilee where the Lord will appear again to his disciples, teaching them several important principles that they'll need for the challenging days ahead. And the message today is called the fuel of failure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, uh, for this opportunity to bring the word. Uh, you know that, uh, Father, I've prayed over this message. Lord, I've studied for this message. And God, uh, my desire is, uh, Lord, that not be uh, any kind of wisdom from man that will be given today. Lord, I pray that my desire, God, you know it is, and you know my heart, is for me to disappear, Lord, and that if today when everyone leaves, they don't remember me, but they remember that you were exalted, God, then I've done what you've called me to do. And uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to do what I love. <clears throat> to share your truth, God. Help me not mess it up. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, all right. <laughs> to give us a little bit of a preface, in Matthew 28, verse uh, 16, we see this. It says, Then the eleven disciples uh, went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. So Jesus, this is after his, his arrival in Jerusalem, whenever they see him, and now he directs them to leave Jerusalem and now go to Galilee. Now that's about a 70-mile journey. That's going to take about three or four days by foot. So all the disciples have now journeyed to Galilee. So when we pick up here in John 21, we'll have a, kind of that knowledge of knowing they're all 11 there, but we're not going to see all 11 there at this time. Verse number one, it says, And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also another name for the Sea of Galilee. And on this wise showed he himself. This is a preference or a, a prefacing statement, simply telling us what's going to take place. It's uh, just simply to prepare the ground. So we know the disciples have traveled, so they're probably tired. They're probably hungry. They're probably a little bit worn out. And we also kind of get the feeling that they feel a little bit lost when they arrive, okay? So they're sort of uh, looking around. They're going, you know, look, we were sold to go to, to go to Galilee. We're now in Galilee, but now what do we do? It says here in verse number two, there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples. So there's seven of the disciples end up in a group and they're all kind of standing here looking at one another. Now they're drawn together. We don't know why these seven are drawn together out of the 11, but for whatever reason, these men are drawn together. There's a commonality that we don't understand. Necessarily. We know some of them are fishermen without a doubt, um, but there is something going on there. Maybe it's the fact that they want to be busy. You know, they all arrive and they're staying on the Sea of Galilee. They're like, well, let's do something, guys. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's get, get something happening. Maybe they're frustrated. We don't really know. But when we find a group of people gathered together, there always tends to be a leader, right? And this group has a leader. Verse number three, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. Okay. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. So Peter's decision that she noticed, he does not invite them to come. He doesn't reach out and say, hey, fellas, what do you think? Should we go fishing? He goes, I go a fishing. And they're like, well, we're going fishing too. And they go, well, great, let's go fishing. So they all decide to do this together. They, get, they go out. And Peter has an influence on other people. And you and I have to remember the fact that there are always going to be a gathering of folks that are around us. Many times there are family members. And the choices that we make and the decisions that we make, guess what? They directly influence them. 
Because many times what will happen is one person will decide to do something, and everyone else will go, I'll do it too. And they'll simply go along, right? So we have to remember that we have a sphere of influence around us, and we must be careful that we make wise decisions. And we're going to look at how Peter's decision impacts um, a little bit. And we're going to return to a scene that's earlier, um, that's actually back in Luke 5, which is going to be at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's going to be talking about this very similar situation about going fishing. But we're going to look at later on how it relates to what happens in this instance. Luke 5, verses 4 through 11. It says, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out in the deep and let down, let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had, and when they had uh, this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes. Remember that word multitude. A multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at, the Jesus, at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished, at, and, all that, that, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was James and John, the sons of Deb, Zebedee, were, were, uh, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus and, uh, said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Notice where he says, From henceforth, henceforth thou shalt catch men. Okay. So these men were initially called in this instance here to... To, 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 to share the gospel. They're told at this point in time, this, is, this used to be who you were. You used to be fishermen, but you're no longer fishermen. They receive a commission here, which is to become men that are going to share the gospel message and no longer be fishers of fish, but be fishers of men. And we see the symbolism in the net, the net being a gathering, right? And it talks about multitudes. If you'll remember many times when Jesus references the people that he sees, it says that he had compassion upon the Multitudes. That word is almost used many, many, many instances, and it's a referencing and give us the symbolism of the catching of the fish, and then he does tell them, I want to make you fishers of men. Okay? So we look at this and we you know, bottom line is what is what is the 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 what's taking place in this instance is the fact that we see that they have gone back to what they used to do. These disciples, uh, basically at this point, we don't, we don't know exactly why they go fishing, if it's just because they want to kill time. We don't know if they're going to gather resources or if they're trying to raise money for the upcoming journeys that are ahead. So we don't know if it was necessarily a matter of provision or they found themselves some free time. And what happens when we have free time? We have a tendency to go back to what we're comfortable with, right? So they're kind of looking at each other, staying on the shore. They're like, well, you know. Hanging out here, looking at one another. I'm going fishing. Let's all go fishing. Let's do it, right? And they gather together. They go out there and they go fishing. And what happens is when we have this lack of direction sometimes, we don't have instruction, we have a tendency to go to what's, what's comfortable in our lives, okay? So we have a tendency to fall back on the things that we've done in the past. And what happens with our own devices many times, it doesn't necessarily lead us in a direction that is the right direction, right? So that, that tendency to fall back on what's comfortable becomes a dangerous thing. Now, not necessarily because what it was is a bad thing per se, but it may not just necessarily be what God's calling us to, right? Now, if you think about when you find yourself in an instance, maybe where you're not sure what to do, and you're looking for something that's comfortable, things you could be drawn back into could be careers, relationships. Who's ever known somebody that got into a relationship 
and then went back into a relationship very similar to that same one that was destructive in the first place, yeah. right? We've all seen that take place in people's lives. I, wouldn't, I mean, I lived it when I was in high school and in college. I mean, I just, bad relation to bad relationship to bad relationship, and then, praise God. Anyway, um, <laughs> bad habits, right? We could fall back into our bad habits, something we used to do in the past that we've gotten away from, and then we slip back into it. It could be a hobby that draws our attention. It could be an addiction, like food or something like that. How many of us have ever, I mean, I mean, I'm addicted to food. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, especially it's Christmas time, all the cookies and all that stuff like that. And like, you'll do so good, you know, you're like, man, I'm not eating any of that stuff. I'm cutting it all out of my life. And then, you know, somebody slides a plate of man, you're like your favorite cookie and it's all hot and steamy. And you're like, man, just one cookie. I'm just going to try this one. And then you're like, man, that, the taste that lingered in my mouth just needs to be topped off by that other cookie there. You know what I'm saying? Next thing you know, you're plowing through a plate. You're like, you know. And then the next day, you're like, man, I, I can't wait to get some more cookies. You know what I'm saying? It becomes this, we fall back into these things. And what's happened, it's because what happens when we become complacent, we have a tendency to fall back to what we, what we know. So their commitment was to become fishers of men, yet we see them here fishing for fish, right? Now, is there anything wrong with fishing? No. Is it sinful to fish? No, not in any way, shape, or form. No, but is it what God called them to do? He said, henceforth, you shall be fishers of men, right? So from this day forward, that's going to be what I'm calling you to do. So in our lives, there become things, we have options where we can spend our time and our energy and our efforts, right? They have an option here to, to, to wait on God and say, Lord, you know what? You've called us here. We're going to sit and pray. We're going to spend our time in communion around the word. We're going to talk about you. We're going to worship you. But no, they go back to what's comfortable and they find themselves out in the water working all night long and getting nothing. So what happens so many times we'll put our time and energy into things that we believe that's nothing necessarily wrong with it. But what happens is that investment of time is not what's profitable for the kingdom of God. And it's a matter of drawing us not, from, not into something that's necessarily bad. But remember, there's always there's good, there's better, and there's best. When it comes to our options, we've got to weigh and go, look, I've got good. This isn't wrong. I've got better. This is this. I should be doing this. But man, what should I, where, where should my attention be poured into? This is best. This is where I really, really need to focus my energy. And the frustration lies with us figuring out how to focus when the challenge comes. Because sometimes good is what's easy, right? It's easy to fall back to what it is we're comfortable with. We've got a good background with it, but it's not what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what these men have happened to them. They have fallen back to what is comfortable to them. Now, just because it's not, uh, it's not sinful and it's not evil, is it necessarily what God's called us to do? And is it, is it, is it what God in his eyes wants our attention and our focus to be upon, right? So if I evaluate what it is I'm doing, and I look at where I'm putting my time and energy and effort, I have to evaluate, is this what God would have me to do, or is this what I want to do, right? Because what happens is we all get drawn into things that we have dreams for ourselves. We have dreams for, 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 for our organization, maybe for our church, right? I may have a dream of what I want this church to become, but guess what? It doesn't matter what my dream is. We have to say, what does God want for this church, right? God planted this church. God called you people here. God's done all the work that he's done. Everything that's been accomplished is because we're simply trying to follow his will, not our own will. When we follow our own will, can we get things accomplished? Absolutely. Could they go spend time and energy? Yes. Did they get wet? Did they put nets in the water and pull them back out? Were they sore muscles and tired and exhausted and worn out from a whole night's work? Yes. But what did they catch? Nothing, right? Nothing. So many times as Christians, we have to evaluate 
what it is we're doing and figure out if we're being obedient. Because remember, doing the right thing but not what God's called us to do is still disobedience, right? Right? If I decide to start a ministry that I'm going to reach a specific people group, but God doesn't open that door. And I go out and I go, I'm doing this good thing. What's a good thing? But that doesn't mean God's going to bless it. Because I could very well be doing a good thing, but at the same time be disobedient. So we have to evaluate. These men, as I said, they're not sinning by fishing, but we can see based upon their results that God does not bless their efforts. Right? So we have to evaluate where it is we're doing to find out if we are being obedient. God wants us and expects us to be obedient. John 14, 15 says this, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Remember the motivation. Why do we do what we do? It's out of love. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and check this out, and will manifest myself to him. Manifest means I will reveal myself to him. We want to have God reveal himself to us in our lives. Bottom line is, guess what? We need to be obedient to him. Now, we may say that we love God, but what do our actions say? Are we consistently sharing the gospel? Does our life reflect the Lord and what he values? Or do we live our lives in obedience to our desires? Many times that's a hard place to be because we go, look, I have this desire. I want this to happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And we put time and energy and effort. We pour into it again and again and again and again and again. And what we can find at the end of it is many times we have wasted effort. Or we have regrets. Right? There's some of us that started on a career path and we thought, this is what I'm going to do. And we dreamed about it as a kid and we worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. But today we're not where we were. Right? I had dreams and evaluated what I thought my life was going to accomplish. It wasn't to be this, but I would not change being a preacher and being a pastor for anything in the world. You couldn't offer me a billion dollars a month. I don't care because it's not worth it. Money does not, it's not what this is about. It's about we get to pour our lives into God and pour our lives into other people. And it's an investment that's eternal. Everything we do for Christ is eternal. It's investing in heaven. The things we do on earth, guess what? They're temporal. Naked we come into the world and naked we shall leave, right? We bring nothing in and we take nothing out with us. It's a matter of us simply understanding the fact that that verse says he will manifest himself to us. He will make himself real to us. So then do we keep his commandments, right? There's a song, the children's song. We used to do children's church. We'd sing things on the bus. Obedience is the very best way to show that I, we believe, right? Obedience, obedience, obedience. Out of ob- now, is it obedience out of obligation? No. It's obedience out of love, right? If I obey you because I'm afraid of you, not good. But if I love and evaluate you so much and I respect you so much, that I'm obedient out of that love to you, that's the right attitude. God wants us to do what we do out of love. Now, let's jump back to those seven disciples. And we remember the results that they got, right? They caught nothing, right? Now, it says here, how does the Lord handle this situation? Okay, verse number four. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus, okay? No one recognizes him. So verse number five, then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. Now the Lord knows the results. He obviously knows that they don't catch any fish, but he wants them to say it themselves. He wants them to hear that word come out of their mouth. Now I imagine when that no was said, it wasn't like, no, Lord, or no. I bet it was like, no, right? I bet they were tired. I bet they were worn out. I bet they were like, man. 
What a wasted night's effort. They worked all night, tired muscles and empty nets. Is it possible that because Jesus just Jesus called them to be fishers of men instead of fishers of fish, they didn't, didn't bless their efforts? Is it possible that fishing for fish was of their own will and not God's will? Is it possible that he asked and questioned them to reinforce the results that they had made? Is it possible that a successful night of fishing could have become a distraction to the work that God had given them to do? Think about that. Could become a distraction. What if they did so well fishing that night? They're like, man, I remember I love fishing. This isn't this exciting? Man, this is great. And all of a sudden, what happens is we find them wanting to fish and fishing, being fishers of fish and fishers of men. And it draws them from the commission of what they were called to do. Again, it's not a bad thing. Fishing is not a bad thing. But if you're not called to fish and you choose to fish, you are being disobedient to God. And this whole thing could be a distraction to them from what it is they're trying to accomplish. Have there been times when we've poured, our, poured tremendous effort and focus into something and it didn't work out the way we expected? Could it be possible that our failure was the Lord guiding us and helping us to get us to do what he wanted us to do? Because that distraction or the devastation that could come from our success could actually detriment, maybe detrimental to the cause of Christ. Is it possible the success, the success that we so desperately sought could have distracted us or even destroyed us in our lives? You know, there's people that seek a dream that they think is the greatest thing ever, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they need for their life. And God knows better than we do. Some of the greatest and most powerful lessons we can learn in life come from failure. There's a guy, who's ever been to Walmart before? All right, you ever been to Sam's Club? Ever heard of that? Well, there was a guy named Sam Walton. And guess what he created? Sam's Club and Walmart. Sam Walton was a little country farmer, a little guy about five foot three. And he lived down in Texas, and he was a self-made man. But he had a a goal and a dream to kind of change the way things worked and functioned in retail. And this man, as he became successful, now remember, he started from nothing. And he finally got where he had some good things going on. He made some good money and had one really, really good success. And a guy came to him and he said, man, I got this real estate deal. You won't believe how good it is. It's going to be amazing. All this stuff's going to take place. I just need you to invest. And he was like, man, it sounds good to me. That's great. Let's do it. He poured everything into that real estate deal, everything. And it flopped horribly, and he lost everything. And he said, if you read his book, he said, you know what I learned? I wasn't good at real estate. So I went back to what I knew. And he became successful. But guess what? It took failure to help him to learn, right? Failure is one of those things that helps us to evaluate where we're at, but also gives us an example of maybe what we should stay away from. It works to protect us. But at the same time, it can be something that can distract us. Just because we want something doesn't mean we should have it. And that's one of the things I thought about this with a toddler, with a little kid. If you ever spend time around little kids, right? And let's imagine you've got Christmas cookies at the house. And they, at dinner time, they decide they want Christmas cookies for dinner. And they are dead set on that. They've decided in their mind, because in their little mind, they've already envisioned themselves eating the cookies at the table. They want to take that whole plate and sit down at dinner, and they want to eat cookies until they're full, full, full. And let's say they're three, right? <laughs> So in their mind, they're thinking, this is what I want, this is what I need, this is what I'm going to get, right? And they start going, cookie, cookie, no, uh -uh, no, baby, not now, you haven't even had dinner yet. No, cookie, 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 baby, no, 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 cookie, cookie, baby, no, baby, cookie, cookie, and all of a sudden it starts ramping up, right? And next thing you know, it's like, they start like losing it. Next thing you know, they're losing their mind. They're laying on the floor kicking and screaming, ah, right? Now, if you just go, okay, honey, here, have the cookies for dinner, sweetheart, eat them. 
Are you being a good parent? No, right? But you gave them what they wanted. Did they really want it? Were they determined? Yes. Were they focused? Yes. And there are times in our lives we're determined, we're focused, and we're hardworking, and we will give all, and we will be emotionally attached and give everything to get what it is we want. And God sometimes has to go, you know what? No. It's not good for you. I'm going to stop it. Now, what will happen sometimes? Or he'll allow us to go down that road and suffer failure and learn from it. Now, verse number six. This is lesson time. Jesus starts going to the lesson mode here. It says, and he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Again, we see the multitude, that word used, right? Again, symbolic. Therefore, verse number seven, therefore, that disciple from uh, whom Jesus loved, which we know to be John, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, because basically he would have been wearing like a loincloth, he says, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. Again, character, the character of Peter is revealed. Character, Peter is not a uh, quiet, you know, he, everything about Peter's bold, man. He's like, Jesus, whoa, and he's leaping off the boat, jumping, you know what I'm saying? That's just who he is. So Peter jumps in the water, he makes his way back uh, to the land. So it's through this, now notice this, it's through a miraculous occurrence that John recognizes the Lord, right? And then Peter jumps overboard. So many times we don't recognize God unless he shows us the miraculous. Why couldn't the disciples have recognized Jesus? Maybe they were tired, distracted, exhausted, self-centered, discouraged. Many times God's working around us and we're so caught up in those things, yeah. distracted, tired, frustrated, whatever's going on. We're so focused on our little world that as God's working around us, we just can't see him. And we wait for the miraculous before we finally go, hey, that must be the Lord. You know what? My, my aunt was sick, and you know, I, I prayed, and he healed her. Oh, praise God, praise God, a healing. Yes, Lord, yes. Miraculous provision. Whoa, man, I can't believe that. Protection. You're almost in a car accident, and all of a sudden, whoo, praise the Lord. But it takes those instances where we go, wow, you know what? God's working. But guess what? He's working all the time. He's working around us all the time, every day. And it's a grateful attitude that we need to learn to carry. So many times we think we deserve, but we don't. Every day is a gift. We're not promised tomorrow. So we need to learn to be appreciative today. It says in Romans 1.20, it says this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are, they are without excuse. Just like the disciples had no excuse of why they didn't recognize Jesus. He's standing right there on the shoreline. He's 100 yards away. They can see him, and they don't know who it is. But as soon as the miraculous takes place, they go, oh, it's Jesus. Because remember back that day when we were on the water, and he said, cast the nets down, and we did, and we brought the things up, and it was so much that it was breaking? Whoa, we're full. The nets are slammed full. This is unbelievable. Remember. And then verse number 8. And the other disciples come in, come in a little ship, come in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were, 200 cubits, that's 100 yards, dragging the net with fishes. As soon, as, they, as, soon, uh, as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. The Lord already had made provision for them. Isn't that neat? In their human thinking, they entrusted their skills and their talents to provide their needs. The Lord is showing them here that he can and will provide their needs. Notice that there's no indication in our passage that they ever sought guidance from the Lord before going on a fishing trip. It doesn't appear that they prayed, did anything like that. Their efforts of fishing were trusting in themselves and not in God. 
The Lord is reinforcing the fact that they must, that they must be dependent upon him and that he can provide with or without their efforts. Because notice, with their efforts, he provided. Without their efforts, guess what? They're not eating the fish that they dragged up on the shore. The fish is already on the coals. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Notice the word now. He says, because you fished all night. Brings the one that you just, you just caught when I told you to. Bring those fish, the ones you just now caught. So in their own wisdom, the whole night's effort, they caught frustration and failure. But with the Lord's help, in an instant, they had a miraculous catch. The Lord is teaching the disciples to trust in him and not in themselves. This is a lesson of dependence, and this, which will be foundational for the disciples' success in fulfilling the work that the Lord will call them to in the days to come. It is this same dependence that allows us to live a life of purpose and joy and victory for our king. But it's a matter of learning to be dependent upon God, learning how to be obedient to God, learning how to live a life that brings glory to him and not focusing upon ourselves and not trusting in ourselves. These men spent all evening trusting in their ability and skills, and they were skilled fishermen, man. They had done this. We know that, that, uh, that Peter and the sons of Zebedee, they were, they were partners. They fished together. That was their lifestyle, man. They, do, they knew what they were doing, yet they had no success. Psalm 73, 26 is this. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Simon Peter, verse number 11. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and 150 and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Again, a picture of the gathering. God's going to call Peter to lead the church. When we see it formed in the book of Acts, guess who's going to be the leader? Peter. He puts that responsibility upon him, and he draws the net up here, draws it up beside where they're going to be, and this big net fish flipping and flopping and stuff like that, and it's laying here right beside him. Verse number 12, Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? This is an intimate invitation to sit and eat together during this culture. This is the most intimate of things in friendship. It was always bound around a meal because that was considered an intimacy, this closeness here. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread. Notice this. Come and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. The Lord lovingly cares and serves these tired, wet, defeated men. This is a picture of restoration. They trusted in themselves. They put their efforts and energy into it. They failed miserably. And God came and showed them that with his help, they could do great things. But here, even with that, he says, come and dine. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. So the Lord has revealed several things to us today. And I'm going to go over them with four things. First, that we need not always be busy doing what we believe to be right but rather waiting on God to direct us to do what he would have us to do. Second, we need to ensure that we are investing our energy and our focus into those things which are profitable for the kingdom of God and not our own ambitions. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one. Because sometimes we have to step away from what it is we want in order to do what he wants. But if you get everything you want on this earth, and one day when you stand before him, and you'll say, how do you feel about your accomplishments? And you'll be able to know in your heart that it wasn't what he called you to do. You'll be able to look at yourself and say, you know what? I should have put all my energy into, into your work. 
But down there, everyone, I got accolades from people, and people said, you were such a success. But you never thought that way. And we have to evaluate ourselves every day, because guess what? Satan's going to tempt us with all kinds of things that look so profitable in the kingdom of the world that mean nothing in heaven. Third, that failure can not only teach us, but also protect us from threats we don't even recognize. Fourth, we see the amazing patience and love of God and the way he cares for and provides for the disciples even after their failure. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is waiting in our failure to scoop us up, dust us off, and get us back on the right track. It's kind of like this when you teach. Anybody ever teach your children to ride a bike? Right? Just a couple of us. Okay. Or that you're just embarrassed. You don't want to tell me. Um, well, my, 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 Riley did really, really well learning how to ride a bike. Hayden was just like, poof, he was a natural. Our oldest daughter, Taria, was a little, a little sketchy. Okay? She was not so good at it. And, we, uh, and I would run beside her. You know, we, we, she had training wheels, and she was great with training wheels. Man, She rocked it with training wheels all day long, man. She loved it. But once we took the training wheels off, it became a, a train wreck, basically. Um, and she was so unsteady and so scared. Well, you know, we put a helmet on, we put pads on, all this kind of stuff. We got it all loaded up because she was so convinced she was going to die. And she's like real tentative. So I would run with her and stuff. And as soon as I'd let go, she'd go, you know, just and you have to grab the wheels and stop her. Well, eventually, I mean, after time, after time, after time, I'm, I'm exhausted. I've been running with her, running with her, running with her. And finally, 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 she, she gets it a little bit. And she starts going. I'm like, well, okay. So I'm running beside her and she's doing good. She's like, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, let me go, let me go. I'm like, okay. And I get her turned around and she starts riding and she's doing awesome. But then I see the mailboxes is in her, in her path. And I'm sitting, I'm going, baby, turn, right? Tree, turn, tree, turn, tree, tree, tree. I'm running, running. She's just going, boom. I mean, just slams right in the mailbox. Face, I mean, crashes into it. The bike goes shooting out from anything. She's rolling. Oh, I, like I don't like riding the bikes anymore. I never want to do this again. I mean, she was devastated, right? And in that instance, I can go, you're terrible at riding a bike. I told you it would stink, right? Why can't you see? What's wrong with you? That's a mailbox, for goodness sake. You can turn, can't you? That would have been constructive. And see, the Lord could have laid into them from the shore and gone, what are you doing out there? Hey, hey, straighten yourselves out, boys. What are you doing? I called you fishers of men. You're fishing. Fishing fish. But no, he let them experience it. And what does he do? He lovingly comes along and he cares for them. He says, hey, I got fish for you already. You didn't have to catch any fish. I got fish for you. I got bread for you. You got a warm fire. If you just waited on me, fellas, if you just waited on me, and he scoops them up, and he dusts them off, he fixes the helmet, gets her back on the bike, says, come on, I can do this. I'll be with you. That's the Lord. And as parents, we get to picture that. When you've, if you've only been a kid and you never had a child, it's really hard to understand the relationship that God has with his children. But let me tell you, when you become a parent, your view flips around. And all of a sudden, you see it from the father's perspective. Because we always see it as a kid until we have a child of our own. And that changes things dramatically. And the goal is not to to beat them down and to chastise them. The goal is to redirect them and help them and empower them to do better. And that's the heart 
of the Lord. That's how he sees us. The Lord's desire is not to point out our failings and discourage us. His desire is to instruct and empower us through our experiences to step out by faith in him and be earth shakers and life changers. The disciples were not perfect, and guess what? Neither are we. But you know what? God can take imperfect people and accomplish his perfect will. And that's what we see again and again and again in the lives of the disciples. We see it in the Israelites. We see it throughout the scriptures. We see again and again and again, failure, 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 failure. Yet God picks them up, straightens them up, dusts them off, and puts them on the right track. And he walks with them as they journey. And that's what you and I face every day. The same challenges, the same distractions, the same destruction, the same ambitions that can eat us up. And God says, you know what? Let me help you. Let me help you. And what's awesome is just like on the bicycle, the little redirections to keep her from falling, there's times in our lives when God's doing this. Uh-uh-uh. 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 Not that way. And if we listen to the Spirit of God, guess what he does? He directs us on the path that we need to go. But our sensitivity allows us to hear. Because Tria could have gone, no, Daddy, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you. I'm going this way. She could have. And we have the free will to to deny God as he whispers in our heart and tries to direct us. We can say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going this way. But the good news is, even if she went the wrong way, I still would have run beside her, wouldn't I? guess what? He does the same thing. We make a wrong turn. He goes with us. And the whole time, come on, come on. Let me get you back where you need to be. Will we allow our failures to defeat us? Or we allow God to use our failures as fuel to accomplish his will? Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Not through our strength, not through our ability, not through our talent, through him and him alone. And the more we depend upon him, the greater the strength will be shown in our lives. The more we can accomplish for the cause of Christ. And just know the devil is going to do all that he can to distract us from what it is that God wants us to accomplish. And we can spend time and energy and effort. And we can toil all night long. We can toil our whole lives and have empty nets to show at the end. We have the freedom to do so. But even if we mess up all the way, God still says, you know what? Come and dine. Amen. Come and dine. You may have let me down, but guess what? I love you for who you're going to become. And you know what, Peter? I'm going to get you not to be a fisher of fish, but soon enough, you're going to be a fisher of men. And you're going to be a life changer and an earth shaker. And you're going to stand in the Sanhedrin defiantly. Instead of being a fearful young man, you're going to stand boldly for the gospel of Christ. And you'll be willing to be killed for my name. How beautiful is that? And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that loves us and that wants to use our lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your day. God, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this message. the way you've spoken to our hearts. I know if no one else got anything, Lord, I know I did. And uh, I'm so thankful for your word. And I'm thankful, Father, for your spirit and your presence in this service now. And Lord, I just praise you, God, for what you're doing in us. And Lord, I pray that you help us, Lord, to, to search our hearts, to check our ambitions and the things that we want. And Lord, help them make sure, help us to make sure, God, that they are your ambitions, that your desires. 
God, help us to remember, Father, that this life is not about us and what we can accomplish for ourselves, but, Lord, it is what you want to accomplish through us. God, we love you. God, we thank you for what you're doing. And, Lord, what you have in store for us, God, we look forward to with anticipation and excitement, uh, God, because you know what? Uh, we are given just this one life. And, Lord, I pray that you help us to seize the moment and to live it for your glory. Whether heads bowed or eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying, and I want to serve God. I have a heart for him. I have a desire to know him. But there was a time in my life, guys, 17 and a half years ago, when someone asked me a question. They said, if you were to die tonight, if this is your last day on this earth, are you certain of your relationship with God? Do you know without a doubt that you are a child of God? Or you maybe just religious? Or maybe you believe in God? It's good to believe, but that does not mean that we're on our way to heaven. It is by faith and faith alone. The devil believes in, believes in God, but he's not going to heaven. But it is by faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Whether you may be online or maybe here, if you do not know for sure, if you thought about it right now and you said, I don't know where my relationship with God stands. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to serve him. I want to sell my life out to him. I want him to work in my life and bring me the joy and the peace that I've wanted all my life. But I don't have that right now. The good news is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is nothing more than a matter of faith. It is not a matter of ceremony. It's not a matter of anything else but simply surrendering our hearts to him. And if you're here today and you say, you know what? I do not know. I do not know. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray in your seat, in your own quiet time. And you talk to God and give you an opportunity to receive the greatest gift ever given. It's, in a matter, it's not a matter of the words of the prayer. It's not a matter of ceremony. It is a matter of the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And if in your heart of hearts you want to receive Christ today, I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you pray with me, but remember, it's not a matter of what you, uh, it's not in your mind. It's not a matter of will. It's a matter of surrendering our hearts to him. With our heads bowed, if you want to pray and receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you now. Remember, you're speaking to God and not to us. Repeat to me in your heart, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong, for those that I've hurt, for the times I've hurt myself, and most importantly, the times I've hurt you. I'm asking you to forgive me, Lord. I'm asking you to come into my heart to save my soul. Lord, you died on the cross. You were buried and you were raised on the third day. You were proved, proved that you were God. Through your power, I'm asking you to give me a home in heaven to forgive me of my sins and save my soul. I love you. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer and you earnestly, honestly meant it, just raise your hand as a testament to God. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to point you out. I just want as a testament to the power of the Lord. Raise your hand so that we can pray for you.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Father, for the power of the word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us, Father, to hear from you, Lord. But, Lord, I pray, God, that you'll help us to then take what we've heard, Lord, not to be just hearers only, but, Lord, help us to be doers, that we might live a life, God, that will bring glory to your name and not to ourselves. Help us to search our ambitions, though. Help us, Lord, uh, to realize and, and understand we may not be doing wrong, but, Lord, are we doing our best? Are we doing what you've called us to do? God, empower us now. Walk with us, Lord. Thank you for this time you've spent with us, Lord. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.